Buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Time now for Rocky Jordan, brought to you by Del Monte Foods, the brand preferred by more women than any other line of canned fruits and vegetables in the world. Not far from the Musk Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Café Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Del Monte presents Rocky Jordan and this week's story, The Veiled People. Tambourine gets all sorts of people, but this kind of man was new to me. Tall, muscular, with piercing dark eyes, black silken hair and thin beard, sunbaked skin that turned light below the eyes. In spite of his size, his hands were delicate, and he might have been graceful except for the ill-fitting white robe and his complete uncertainty. I watched him as he came back to where I was wiping some glasses behind the bar. My name is Gerard. I would work for you, sir. Yeah, I get all the help I need. Sorry. I, I need money. I, I will work very hard for only a few francs. They don't pay in francs around Cairo. Where are you from, anyway? If I do good work, you do not care. Well, you ought to be a good caravan driver. Why don't you look up Ali Ben down at the camel stall? I do not want to drive camels. I would work hard for you. Scrub floors, sweep. With this broom, I will show you. Stay on the other side of the bar. I said nothing doing. I clean up very good. You will see. Now cut it, will you? Look out with that broom. Gerard! Oh. oh, I am most sorry. I'll bet you are. That was expensive liquor. It'll cost you plenty. Oh, but there is no money. So, now you see, I have to work for you. Is that not so, sir? Yeah. All right, get busy, Gerard. There was nothing to do but let him work it out. It was all new to him, but he was tireless. By night, he had the place as spotless as my grandmother's kitchen. The Cairo streets had him confused, so I helped direct him to an address in the Sharia El Gama. But he was back bright and early the next day, hard at work. That evening, I told him he'd worked off his debt, gave him a few piastres, and said he could stay on. Whoever he was or where he came from, he seemed like a good man to have around. He thanked me and hurried away. I figured the tambourine had had its fill of strange characters for a while, but a few minutes later, there were two more. They were tall and erect, dressed in blue robes. It wasn't just the fact that they blocked the door that sent me hurrying up front, but something else. The black veils that covered their faces. Look well over the room, Chap. The eyes regard each person, Hagar. All right, empty boys. Fun's over. Take the masquerade someplace else. Tell us now where he is. We talk when you take off the disguise. You know, your wives will be missing those veils. The insult, Hagar. So... Now we show him the knives, Jeb. You see, sheathed to the wrists, sharp for the throat of the offender. Yeah. Now, where is the one who calls himself Gerard? Gerard? What's your interest? It is one which brings us from far across the sand. From the land of fear we come. Silence, Jeb. We talk only of the shameless one. 
as you say. The one who calls himself Gerard. He's not around. But he will return here? Maybe. He got quite a wait. The people of the desert are doomed to patience. We will wait here. Yeah, hold on. We got rules at the tambourine. You check your knives at the door. The knives remain with us. Not in here, they don't. Keep it outside. So, as he wishes, Jeb. I'm just on my way to your office. What do you got? Some rundown on that sweet character, Mrs. Wood. Oh. Very sweet character. I said, oh, Margovan. That's not the secret word, huh? Okay, rundown on Mrs. Wood and E. Laura Brennan. Married Charles Wood three years ago. That's fine, fine. You stop me again when... Sometimes I get you in a bad humor, don't I? Is that all you got? Well, she has a record. Record narcotics. Took a cure. Oh, and something else. A man once signed a complaint against her for cutting him all up. Cutting him? Yeah, with a bottle. man signed the complaint before Laura was brought to trial to withdrew it. That's interesting. What man was that kind? Chap owns a pinwheel nightclub named Avery Roberts. Uh-huh. You've talked to him for quite a while once before, haven't you, Danny? Long enough so that he'll remember me, Mugovan. It hits you how different this joint is when it's empty, Mr. Clover. Hits me right here between the eyes. You want to listen to me, Avery? I know, I know. You're going to say to me, Laura. Uh huh. <laughs> I was told you signed a complaint against her. For the bottle bit? Yeah, I'll show you. I'll unbutton my shirt. See? Funny bit she did on the torso, huh? Then you withdrew the complaint. And it eats you why. Uh-huh. It made a thing. What? It made a big thing in the newspapers, how a girl cut... Hey, you didn't drop dead. You want to try for it inside? Come on in. You come for the fifth of seltzer. I know a funny bit that goes with Where's your husband? Oh, he'll be very good in a bit. I'll call him. A little later. I want to talk to you. For what? Joey Condon. One of the other times you said that name to me, I went like this. (laughs) Only louder. Let's pose this name, then. Avery Roberts. You gonna do what to a name? Pose it? Then what am I supposed to do? Get your husband. Sure. I've had him, now you can have him. Charlie! Cheryl! Carlo! What do you want? Get in here, Pet. We got company. Bring around a ball of yarn sometime. I'll show you why I call him Pet. Laura. Him, Pet. I was just pitching you. What do you want here, Clover? I just want you to join this discussion we're having. Oh, Pet here's a real big joiner. What were you talking about, Clover? man named Avery Roberts. What about him? I'm trying to figure out why you paid him off to drop his complaint against your wife. <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Wood. That badge you carry makes you have a big mouth spread, huh, Clover? Tell him, Pet. Tell him why you settled with Avery. Ah. He saw my picture in the paper, Mr. Clover. He read about me. Now you know, Clover. Now you can be on your way. And Laura appealed to you, huh? I married her, didn't I? Sure. My pet got me out of hock, and I'm a grateful girl. Mrs. Wood, hmm? you've got quite a record. Leave her alone. Man wants to talk about me, pet. I don't mind. Shut up, Laura. How'd you get that scar on your face, Mr. What Wood? What difference does your that... Your wife, huh? We were drinking. There was an accident. I'm sorry, pet. Another thing I can't figure. What are you talking about? Your wife. I told you, leave her alone. When she drinks, she gets violent. That's my problem. And he's happy. You know what I do to my pet, Mr. Clover? Why don't you shut up? Why don't you get out of here? I fascinate him. He told me. When she gets drunk, she gets violent. When she... I've been a good girl for years. Then a 
trumpet player set you off again. Look, all we did was have a party. Must have been a pretty dull party, Laura. Yep, a lot of dull. So you left it with a trumpet player and another man. The little watchmaker didn't matter. Charlie knew that, didn't you, Charlie? What are you trying to do to me, Laura? You followed them, didn't you, Mr. Wood? What are you trying to do to me, Laura? It's done, Pat. You followed them, and when your wife left, you killed Joey Condon. Listen to me. What? Well, Pat? You... You, you just listen to me. We're waiting, Pat. I don't know. I don't know anything anymore. The things that have happened. What things, Charlie? Married to you. And what you made me do. You know something, Mr. Clover? You know something. What? Can you imagine a man being jealous of her? I was. Pet. Charlie. Carlo. Get away from me. Get away. Aw. All I want to do is kiss you goodbye. That bit. Come along, Mr. Wooden. The other streets never paid off, so you walked Broadway. And Broadway is different. Hello. Obviously, you too have an interest in her. Else, why are you here? I came looking for Gerard. My only because he might lead you to her. Is that not so? No, I knew nothing about her. It happens Gerard works for me at my cafe. Yes, yes, I know. I follow him for a time from your cafe tonight, but the, the wily one, he evaded me. That's how you know my name. I uh, didn't get yours. Mm. Antonio Scorpio, senor. Now, how does Gerard concern you? Oh, none at all, except uh, as an excellent bait. Now, let us forget him. And while you're about it, maybe you can explain a bunch of guys running around Cairo with veils over their faces. Let them return to their beds of sand where they belong, and that's no fear of mine. But the girl is. Why? Senor, I'm beginning to wonder if you do know anything of this. Is it possible you do not know who she is? You got it right. Then you don't know her worth in gold or silver. I'm waiting for you to tell me. <laughs> I believe I will offer you something even better, my friend. This begins to shape up like a deal. Well, perhaps it is. It seems that you have won the confidence of this Gerard. It is possible that he places a certain trust in you. You will wait here for him. Yeah. You have only to uh, obtain the whereabouts of the girl whose name is Sheila. Bring the information to me, and you shall be well repaid. What happens to her and Gerard? That need never concern you. Well, senor. You think I'd go for a deal like that? Well, we who for reasons cannot return to our own country must live as best we can. You answer. Tell me all of it. I'll decide then. Then you will get out of here. I will wait alone and you will get nothing. Have it your way, Scorpio. Yes. Arrivederci, signor. But mark you. Keep your lips sealed. Your life means no more to me than those of the desert. Now get out. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan.
expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, to whom it may concern Hartford Police Headquarters, Hartford, Connecticut. I don't expect you to honor this statement, but since the reports to my regular employers go in on these forms, the following is an accounting of my expenditures during my personal investigation of the Mickey McQueen matter. You may wonder how I got mixed up in it. Well, it's been my privilege to have worked a number of cases with Mickey McQueen here in Hartford. And through the years, a friendship developed between us. So when he phoned Tuesday night saying he wanted to talk to me, I was glad to ask him up. But when it got to be 1.30 in the morning and he still hadn't arrived, I wasn't so glad. He arrived at 2. I'm sorry I'm late, Johnny. Yeah, what held you up? Ugh. I was about to drop off. I had to think, Johnny. Oh. You're in uniform, Mickey. What about your beat? Yeah, my beat won't miss me. After 20 years of walking it from dark to dawn, checking its doors and passing the time of night with its people drunk and sober. Uh. <sighs> Is it too late for a drink, Mickey? I got your brand, some Irish. Yes, that was good of you. I, uh... I've been a good policeman, Johnny. I can say that without sounding like I'm stuck on myself, can't I now? Oh, I've never heard anybody else say anything else, Mickey. Well, I've got more friends to make credit than I have arrests. I'll say that. But I've got a quiet beat. I think there are quieter beats in town. Maybe you're lucky. Here's to it. All right. But be careful what it is. There's... There's murder being done and planned right this minute, Johnny, and them that could stop it don't have the heart right or wrong. What are you talking about? I know what I'm talking about. Are you feeling all right? Feeling all right? I'm as healthy as I was yesterday, ain't I now? I didn't see you yesterday. Yet they're taking my job, putting me behind a desk. Degrading in for a man that's been active for 20 years. After 20 years on your feet, you should take a rest. You've earned one. <laughs> the very words of the commission, Johnny. But, Johnny, I... Yes, Mickey? Ah, never mind. The devil take them all. I've used up enough of your time. Now, wait a minute. You came over to talk about something more than your new job. What's this stuff about murder being planned and being done? I shouldn't have said it. I wish you'd forget it. What's the matter with you? You know me well enough to tell me. You know me well enough to know I'll keep any confidence you want me to keep. You're a good friend, Johnny. Maybe that's why I've changed my mind about telling you. And then why did you come over? Because I thought I was going to talk to you, but I'm not now. All right, it's your business. But you're acting like a kid. Now, if you don't have anything to say to me, it's after two, I... And I have a job in the morning. All right, Johnny. I'm sorry I bothered you. I'll say good night. I didn't sleep very well for the rest of the night. In sort of a half doze, parts of Mickey's conversation kept coming back to me. And the more sleep I lost over it, the more I wished I'd been less grumpy and more sympathetic. There wasn't a job for me the next day, and right afternoon I decided to pop by his apartment and find out his mood when he was off duty. Mickey's apartment occupied the ground floor of a narrow gray row house not far from mine. I could hear a woman crying somewhere inside. I smelled domestic trouble, but I pushed the buzzer anyway. Are you the... I'm Johnny Dollar, a friend of Mr. McQueen's. Oh, yes, Johnny Dollar. He said to phone you if I ever needed 
Is he home? In there. She pointed in the direction of a door, smaller than the outside door, the door to either a bathroom or a closet. It was a closet. The clothes were bunched at one end of the rod, and from the other, still in uniform, his own polished leather belt drawn tightly around his neck, hung Mickey McQueen. I walked back into the lace curtain living room. The woman who had let me in was in her middle 30s. She wore too much makeup, and her white blonde hair was anything but natural. She had stopped crying, and she acted as if she were waiting for me to start something. Well, what about it? Do you explain yourself, or do I get three guesses? Never mind that look. I only live here. Oh? I didn't know Mickey had a wife. Oh, maybe he was ashamed of me. My name is Thelma. Sorry, Thelma. You're an old friend of Mickey's? Yeah, but he never told me about you. Had you seen him lately? Yeah, last night. First he phoned me, then he came by to talk to me. What did he say? I'm not sure. He was pretty handy with double talk. Maybe I was supposed to understand it, but I didn't. What was it about? About his job, change he was making, and something about murders being planned and done and nobody doing anything to stop them. Then he didn't tell you. What? That I was leaving him. He's never mentioned you. Why were you leaving him? Well, because it was all wrong. I never should have married him in the first place. Why did you? Because he was the kindest, most wonderful man that ever lived. Does that answer your question? Not quite. Is there more? Did you know his first wife? Yeah. Well, then I guess you know he took her death pretty hard. He'd been married ten years. I met him after she died. He was lonely, and so was I. Well, he was pretty wonderful to me. I, I thought I could help him. It wasn't because of him I was leaving. It was me. But I never thought he'd do this. I don't think he did. What do you mean? I think he was murdered. Why? When did you find him? Oh, I came home about a half hour before you got here. Have you phoned the police? Not yet. I didn't know what to do. Where had you been? I told you I was leaving him. I've been living in a hotel. Does it matter? Well, why'd you come back? Oh, just to get some things I'd left. Why are you asking me these things? When it's murder, there's bound to be a lot of questions. I don't think it was. Everybody loved him. He didn't have an enemy in the world. Why would anybody want to kill a man like Mickey McQueen? For the rest of the day, I tried to talk myself into leaving the matter in the hands of the police where it belonged, but I couldn't do it. That night, I started making the rounds of Mickey's beat. I talked to a corner magazine vendor who had sold him a mystery, a woman in a cigar store who had talked with him, and a cabbie who had borrowed five bucks from him. None of them gave me anything helpful. My next stop was the Cedric Hotel, where I looked up the house detective, Ned Martin. Ah, poor old Mickey. I'll miss him. So will I. Did you see him last night? Yeah, he dropped in. He always did, once or twice a night, just to shoot the breeze, you know. Why'd he do it? Did he leave a note or anything? I think he was murdered. What makes you say that? Came over to see me about 2.30 this morning. There was something on his mind. He wanted to talk about it, but he wouldn't. Yeah, that figures. What do you mean? Well, I noticed something about him last night. He was real low. I asked him what was the matter. He said it was because it was his last night on his beat. 
He was supposed to check into his new job today. But that didn't sound right to me. Did you know he had a wife? Yeah, I heard about it. Then I hounded him till he showed me a picture of her. Bleached blonde? Yeah, she looks it. I didn't want to embarrass him by asking, but I wondered about her. What makes you think it was murder, Don? Now, do you think Mickey was the type to kill himself? Well, no, but how can you tell? I guess you can't. All you can do is try to find out. Well, if you don't have anything more, I'll be on my way. Uh, wait a minute. Huh? I guess it was a dirty trick, and I wish I had... Echo is still sitting at Sam's desk. I repeat, Mr. Jordan, the Captain Sabaya is in Port Said. I am in command. All right, you'll do, Greco. You brought in a body from a place on Shari El Gama last night. I'd like to see it. You seem to have a special zest for the dead. Oh, cut it, Grego. Just take me to the morgue. Do you think you can identify him? Yeah, I think so. This way, Mr. Jordan. You seem most tired. Perhaps the affairs of the night. Yeah, yeah. Would it be that you saw more of the men with veils? Or perhaps the masks on their faces? Yeah, that's right. Want to hear about them? Indeed not. Your dreams obviously confuse Cairo with Chicago. Over here. Oh, this the one? Feast your eyes, Mr. Jordan. That's not... Your obvious surprise does not escape me, Mr. Jordan. Who is he? Not who I thought. Name's Antonio Scorpio. Antonio Scorpio. How'd he die? From the knife, of course. This one here? Do not touch it, Mr. Jordan. I wouldn't think of it. Did you ever see a knife like this? In my time, I have seen many knives. They are all for one purpose. Now, I have other matters. Are you coming, Mr. Jordan? Yeah, sure, Greco. And uh, thanks for everything. I followed him up and went out. My thanks to Greco had been for a knife I pocketed as he turned away. It was exactly like the ones carried by the veiled men. I caught the first taxi and made it across town to the Cairo Museum. After a little waiting, got in to see the curator of the weapons division, a kindly white-topped Mr. Winters. I introduced myself and laid the knife on his desk. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it is not the best specimen, Mr. Jordan, but it, it seems authentic. Wicked-looking thing, isn't it? Where did you get it? Now, let's just say I found it, Mr. Winters. Who would use a knife like that? Well, it is the favorite weapon of the Toreg. They sheathe them to the wrist for instant use. Toreg? Yes, uh, Toreg. Remarkable people. Nomads living in the heart of the Sahara, called by many the land of fear. Uh, that much checks. I'm just trying to remember there's something different about the Toreg. Well, <laughs> I should say, yes. Uh, by some, they are known as the Desert Raiders. And by others, and I think much more appropriately, the people of the Vale. Oh, of course, the Vales. Uh, they all wear veils? Oh, no, 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 no. Not the women, uh, Mr. Jordan. Only the men. The litham, it is called. A black cloth to hide the faces of the men day and night. I still don't get it. Well, who can say? It's an answer lost to antiquity. Custom gone into reverse, you might say. In fact, a, a mild form of matriarchy exists. Uh, Mr. Winters. Yes? Supposing one of the Toreg wanted to get away from the tribe and then lose his identity. How could he best do that? Why, uh, well, really, I couldn't say. All he'd have to do is change to other clothes and take off the veil. His own people might not even recognize him. Oh, but it's hardly likely. They consider removing the veil as shameless. But it is a thought. Uh, is it uh, possible that you are a writer, Mr. Jordan? Eh, nobody'd ever believe this story. Well, thanks, Mr. Winters. No, not at all, not at all. 
please let me know how your story turns out. Sure. If I ever find out myself. Well, I suppose I could have dropped it right there. But I was thinking about the frightened native girl I'd seen running from Gerard's house. And maybe I remembered the hundred pounds Gerard had snatched from my till. Anyhow, I decided to try for more. And that took me back to the native quarter. I found the blind man not far from where he'd been begging the night before. Backsheesh, Effendi. Backsheesh for the blind. Hey, uh, we met last night, remember? Ah, the voice of the foreigner. You offered no piastres. I got plenty today. Allah will bless you. A native girl got into a gary here last night. There was a driver. My ears heard the sound, but my eyes knew nothing. This whole handful of piastres for the name of the driver of that gary. Effendi, the driver, I do not know, but... Uh, on the gallery, the number, in English, it would be 27. Nice. Here. Go buy yourself some carrots. It took half an hour to locate the driver of the Gary 27, and a half pound to get him to tell me where he'd taken the girl, to a little town south on the Nile called Helawan. So I invested some more money and had him take me there. Helawan turned out to be nothing more than a tiny boat stop. There were a few windowless shacks along the Nile banks. The driver pointed to one and was gone. I got to the open door of the shack and went in. I waited for my eyes to get accustomed to the dim light. So, even to this sad place you choose to follow? I saw her then, standing across the room at the wall. It was the girl, Sheila. Small, oval-faced. She stood erect, but helpless. Like those of the Torek. Like the vicious Scorpio, you come to torment us. I only came to find Gerard, to find out what this is all about. Where is he? I would not tell. What do you know of Gerard? Well, he worked for me in my cafe. Then, then you are the good offended Jordan of whom Gerard speaks well. Yeah, from whom he took a hundred pounds. Oh, he will repay. He took it only to help me escape, to pay the driver who came for me to get us away. But why? Scorpio was after you. What for? Who are you? I am Sheila, daughter of Sheikh Amenakal, a man of wealth and position on the Munda Oasis to the south of Algiers. Yeah, long way from home. Would you hear my story, Effendi Jordan? All right, Sheila. Go ahead. Well, first you must know, Effendi, that at home I was not happy. My father had betrothed me to one I did not love. Mm -hmm. Then one night... The Torah graders came and took me into the desert, holding me for ransom. You can realize my terror. I, who had been protected always from the world. Oh, sure. They, they would have been cruel to me. All but Gerard. He was tender and shielded me from the others. Such is fate. Dollars would keep them in favorably exchanged Mexican pesos. So smart Cadillacs, some of them towing outboard runabouts and filled with eager-eyed fishermen... And the usual run of trucks, big trucks and trailers. The boys who made a living behind the wheel, the best drivers on the road, wherever they were, loaded with goods for transport between states or countries or what have you. I drove fast, I drove slowly, and I still didn't see any car that might have been following me. To make sure, I took off on a gravel side road, drove a mile or more, and waited. Nobody followed me. So I finally gave up and went back to the main highway. At the border, I asked the guards where the Corazon de los Hongales hospital was, drove the car to it, parked in back, and asked the first nurse I could find, and I should have stopped right there because she was beautiful, asked her where Dr. Hernandez hung out. Hernandez spoiled a beautiful romance in the budding and led me into his office. 
pleased to sit down, Senor Dollar. Thanks, Dr. Hernandez. I'm so glad you've come. We here at the hospital, I must confess, were somewhat concerned when the fishermen brought in the poor young cabin boy who survived the wreck of the... What was his name? The Jolly Roger? Yeah, that's right. Zanagian couldn't have picked a better one. So? Jolly Roger is the name of the flag that pirate ships used to fly, skull and crossbones. I suppose you know. See, uh, I know. He was a glorified pirate preying on the whole world. I'm a student of history, senor, modern as well as ancient. In his small, selfish way, I realize that Paulus Zanagian has looted the whole world. A dangerous man. You say you were worried when his cabin boy showed up. Because there was a man who called and wished to visit him. Insisted on it. Oh? See, but... Of course, because of his condition, we could not permit it. The explosion of the ship had done a great deal of damage to his small body. When he was brought in here, I could see that immediate surgery was necessary to save his life. Well, go on, Doctor. So I operated... And as I did so, realized that divine providence would permit me to save the life of this poor unfortunate. My operation was a success. But you told me over the phone that he died. We are a poor hospital, and usually we're not able to provide such things. But I appointed a special nurse to look after Doctor, him. While I'm, I'm sorry. I ordered that man who would not give his name but who insisted on seeing him be kept away. Doctor, you said... However, two hours ago, the nurse left him only for a brief moment and only to inform me of the remarkable improvement he'd made. Look, and doctor... When I entered his room, he was dead. Look, doctor, I'm, I'm sorry if you lost your patient, of course, but you told me over the phone that there was something unusual about his death. That's why I came down here. He would have lived. He would have lived, Senor Zola. Yes, I know. Except that someone got into the room with him during the brief moment he was left alone. Got into him and killed him with this. What? What is it? A knitting needle? I think so. He would have been well again, Senor, but he was killed. Murdered. Have you told the police about this? See, and they are what you call uh, at a loss. Oh, brother. How do you think I feel? I was going to tell them what I knew about the unfortunate boy when your telephone call came. Then I decided perhaps I'd best talk to you first. Well, just what is it you know about him? It is what he knew about the sinking of the boat. The Jolly Roger. See, thanks to adrenaline and other stimulants I administered even before we began the anesthetic for the operation that saved his life. Only it didn't stay safe long. See... He regained consciousness long enough to talk with me. He talked a great deal. Well? Well, Doctor, what did he tell you? My notes. I get very careful notes in this drawer. And... What is it, Doctor? What's the matter? The notes I had, they're gone. Gone? Here. I kept them here because I knew they'd help to solve the crime of the singing of the ship. Well, what did this boy tell you? Notes or no notes, Doctor? You must remember something of what he told you. Well, see, uh... Yes. Well, what? That he'd seen a strange device taken aboard the ship. He was young and curious, as all boys are. Yeah? Uh, that only the captain of the vessel had handled it, had taken it to the engine room. 
that he had inquired about it and been told to mind his own affairs. What kind of a device was it? Did he tell you? Like a clock, he said. A clock on a large box, like an alarm clock. It was set for 2.35. He hold everything. That was the time the Coast Guard patrol plane saw the explosion. I knew that. All right, go on, Doctor. That, Senor Dollar, is all. Well, I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like Zanagian or one of his men are both planted a time bomb in the engine room of that yacht. See? No. Now, wait a minute. Yes? If the captain knew about it... Hey, look, Doctor, the U.S. Coast Guard reported that the only survivor was this cabin boy. Now, surely the captain wouldn't have let himself get blown up. Well, no, he would not, except for one thing. Yeah? And I tell you only what I know from the cabin boy. Oh, yeah, what's that? This trip was a test. Before the ship, uh, the yacht was to go on a long trip. It had many new d- devices on it. Uh-huh. A large, tall mast for what you call a radar. Yeah, yeah, go on, go on. The captain, when they reached a point of the Coronado Islands, ordered a small boat put, uh, how do you say, over the side. Yeah, that's right, go on. But in doing so, the mast, the radar mast, fell down, and the captain was struck by it. Therefore... Doctor, doctor, now listen, listen carefully. Tell no one you've talked to me. Tell your local police, if you like, what you learned from the cabin boy. Report it to your Coast Guard or whatever you have to do down here in Mexico. But don't, under any circumstances, let anyone know you've talked to me. I do not understand, senor. You wonder where your notes on the cabin boy are? Well, if you ask me, Zanagian is looking them over right now. Impossible. Nothing is impossible with a guy like him. Now, what I'm getting at is this. I'm a marked man, doctor. He's after me. And he'll be after anybody who tries to help me. I cannot believe it. Well, you'd better, if you want to stay in one piece. So take no chances. I don't think I was followed down here, but I may have been. If so, your life is in danger, same as mine. So please, watch your step. Until I can pin whatever it takes on Zanagian to send him up for life. This is fantastic. Yeah, sure it is. But outside of you and a girl named Jan Penny and... Doctor, may I use that phone of yours for a call across the border? Well, of course. They're here. Thanks. Hello? Hello, operator. I want to call Coast Guard headquarters in San Diego, California. Lieutenant John Smith. You know something? Your Mexican operators speak as good English. Hello? Yes, thank you. You seem alarmed, Senor Dollar. Are you Doc, sure? Doc, I just that... hope you find no cause for alarm before this mess is over. But I say it again. Watch your step. The mere fact that you've talked with me that... Hello? Well, where can I reach him? Well, sure, I'll talk to anybody there at headquarters. Hello, I'm... I'm calling Lieutenant John. I see. Thanks. What is it, Mr. Dollar? Lieutenant Smith is dead. What? A hit-and-run accident. About an hour after I left him. Watch your step, Doctor. See, and you too, Senor Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, some real help from two close friends. You know, close enough to kill... Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. It is so easy to follow the Occidental mind. What are you getting at? It happens that I intended to do nothing but the matter of the knife which disappeared from the morgue. It was so like you, Mr. Jordan. Oh, yeah. It's all yours, Gregor. At that point, I invoked the command of the Captain Sabaya when he left me in charge. That should you again become involved in one of your usual escapades, that questions would prove futile, I was only to watch you and follow. It was simple for us both to take the same path. How'd you find me down at Halloween? The driver of the garret took both you and Sheila to the Nile town. Could he not also take those of the police? Yeah, sure. Just one thing, Greco. No rough stuff with Gerard, huh? Sheikh Amanakal will be notified immediately, Mr. Jordan. It is a duty. And uh, what then? Uh, do not be concerned. Their marriage seems quite illegal. Our father cannot force the girl to return. The man Gerard, under surveillance, may remain with her in Egypt. Oh, yeah. That's the way Sam would handle it. As you say, the Captain Sabaya will be most pleased with my report. Good night, Mr. Jordan. Uh, good night, Greco. Oh, by the way, I've got something for you. You have, Mr. Jordan? What is it? This, uh, this veil I grabbed off Hogar's face. Try it on, Greco. I knew it ought to look good. For the finest in tomato flavor, enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products. Del Monte catsup and chili sauce. Del Monte tomato sauce and canned tomatoes. And Del Monte tomato juice. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Larry Roman and Gomer Cool, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jane Avello as Sam Sabaya. Sergeant Greco is played by Lou Krugman. This program is produced and directed by Cliff Howell, with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arant. 
Remember, you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. Same time, same station. And the story is The Late Mr. Maru. For a gay, glamorous holiday dessert, serve Del Monte Fruit Cocktail. Five luscious fruits, ready cut, so easy to serve, so pleasing to see, so delicious to taste. Del Monte Fruit Cocktail. Larry Thor speaking. Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.